0: last time and uh, let's uh, gather back into the uh, seating area here Welcome to part two of our four-part series titled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. This is a series where we examine seemingly good advice that's masquerading as scriptural truth. Quotes that are often passed along, especially on social media. Facebook is full of them, that are given with the best of intentions, are meant to inspire or comfort, or sound like they've been found somewhere in the Bible. But if you were to apply these truths to your life, what would happen? You would actually discover that they end up being incongruous with truth and incongruous with real life. And as a result, they would actually end up confusing your relationships and misdirecting you in real life. Why? Well, quite simply because the Bible doesn't say those things. Or as Sophie McDonald says, anything that's meant to be a comfort actually becomes a confine, becomes restricting when it isn't based fully in Scripture. So case in point this morning, who here has ever had a circumstance, a moment, a period of time where you knew beyond any doubt in your mind that you were at the end of your rope. That you could not handle this any For those of you who have not raised one or both hands, let me ask the question from the other side. Who here has gone through their entire life, every relationship, every circumstance, every challenge, and you have never needed help, but instead you have navigated and dealt with every situation, every relationship, every challenge so well that you've never needed help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most of you know my story, and so you know that I would raise both hands and I have no problem standing in the front of the line that says, help please. You know that I'm willing to say that anyone who will tell you that they don't ever need help, that they can face anything, that there's nothing too hard for them to handle, that they never feel overwhelmed, that I will be the first to hold a mirror up to them and say, you, my friend, are inept. At living life. You don't know how to do life based in reality. And those people will be in for a very severe blast of reality at some point in the near future and if they refuse to accept that then for sure in death when they meet their creator they will be faced with a significant reality that they will not be able to handle on their own. The stark truth is that we've all been in that place where we say, God, I cannot handle this anymore. I'm tapping out. I can't do it. I just can't do it. And in those moments, most of us have probably heard or spoken or thought these words as well, this phrase, but God won't give you more than you can handle. You can do it. God will never give you more than you can handle. It's meant to be a comfort. It's meant to give us hope and resolve. But in reality, what does it do? It leads us down a path of self-doubt, self-chastisement, heightened sense of self-reliance. Because now I got to dig deeper if God's, you know, or deep self-defeat. And it begins to erode and dismantle my relationship with God. Because I begin to see him or make him into something that he is not. So where do we get this untrue idea that God will never give you more than you can handle? Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's find out if this thing is actually somewhere in the Bible. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter Uh, 10. The context for the chapter is one of sin and temptation. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's relating the Old Testament nation of Israel's history and propensity for idolatry to the current context for Corinth and for us in terms of temptation. He's saying to the church, hey look church, others have traveled down this road of sin and temptation before and we can learn from them. So the outcome is always the same, he says. It was the same for Old Testament Israel. It's the same for Corinth. It's the same for Jericho Ridge. Anyone who decides that they want to worship something other than God first and foremost, which is what idolatry is, will suffer that same outcome. Judgment due to broken relationship with God. So what can we learn from the nation of Israel? Paul says, look at verse 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So, my dear friends, flee from worship of idols. Let me read that same verse in a couple other versions. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. You're starting to hear some of that language? You can handle. God'll never give you more than you can handle. It's not saying that, but we're hearing some of that language. You are tempted. New International Version, you are tempted in the same way all other human beings are. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you're tempted, God will give you a way out, and then you will be able to deal with it. You start to hear phrases in there. God won't give me more. I'll be able to handle it. I'll be able to endure it. And all of a sudden, we start to piece those together late at night while we're sitting at our computer on Facebook. And we end up writing, Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that train of thought goes out. And someone else thinks that sounds great. And before we know it, we have completely misconstrued First Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. The word temptation that Paul is using in this passage can indeed actually be translated in reference to suffering and testing. The word is pyrasmus, and it can be translated uh, for uh, temptation and sin, or it can be translated for suffering and testing. So you could make an argument that our English version has mistranslated it, and it actually is referring to suffering. That God's not going to give you more than you can handle when it comes to testing and suffering. Because that word, pyrasmus, is used like that in other places in the scripture. But we know that we can never isolate a word when we need to know its meaning. For example, if I say to Saatchi, if I just walk up to him and say, beat it, what am I saying to him? What am I saying? Get lost? No. Saatchi, last night on TV, I was watching 1982, the release of Thriller, my favorite song off that record, Michael Jackson's Beat It. That's what I was talking about. Beat it, beat it. That's what was going through my head. You heard something totally different. It's about context, right? Same rules of interpretation in Scripture. You can't, a word can mean more than one thing, but you cannot use the word singularly and mean both things at the same time. You have to choose what you want that word to mean. And sometimes the only way we can understand what that word is intended to mean is by the context. And so, of course, we need to apply that to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and this word of Pyrasmus. Is it talking about temptation and sin and God's not going to give us more than we can handle there? Or is it talking about suffering and testing? And we know from the context, you can go home, you can read it, you can read it now, right now if you want. that Paul is talking about the nation of israel in chapter 10 he's talking about their propensity to idol, to worship idols their propensity to sin that's the context within which this verse falls and he's saying god will always provide you a way out of temptation you don't actually you're not a slave to sin you are not forced to sin He will never put you in that situation where you can't choose anything but the sin. Yielding to the temptation. Paul is saying, no. God is a God of grace. And he will always give you an option to overcome the temptation. You will either be able to flee from it, run away from it, or overcome it through his power. That's the good news in that verse. Now, does that mean that life's always going to be easy and that God will never give us more than we can handle? Well, the context of this chapter doesn't tell us that at all. It's not even addressing anything to do with that. In fact, if you look at the broader context of Paul's writings to the Corinthian church, and if you look at the broader context of Paul's life, and as you related to me, your broader context of life when I asked you the first questions this morning... Scripture actually confirms and tells us that the exact opposite is true. Turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the second letter that Paul writes in chapter 1. Starting at verse 3. So same church. Next letter that he writes, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. So far, so good. He comforts us in all our troubles, okay, so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. How? By telling them that God will never give you more than you can handle? Hmm. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower Us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffered. You know, so far he hasn't said anything to contradict this thought that God will never give you more than you can handle. You could still track. Verse 7, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. And now it shifts. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live Through it. In fact, we fully expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And He did rescue us from mortal danger and He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him and He will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. And then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. You see, despite what we would like to believe about ourselves, because it's not just an injustice for me to tell somebody else that they can, God will never give them more than they can handle. I actually try to if I'm honest with myself, believe it for myself. Because I live and have grown up in a world that does what? That tells us from day one, how strong I am, how good I am, how much I'm able to rely on myself, inner strength. We are so prone to that message. We want our heroes, including our spiritual heroes, to have that incredible inner strength and to look like that. And we don't want to go through life with facing more than we can handle. And yet we all do come to that place. We all come to that place of utter submission where we just say, I cannot do this anymore. More and we hate it. We do not want to be there. There's not one of us who would put up our hand to stand in that line. We try to avoid it at all costs. It goes against everything we tell our kids. You can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do. Just try harder, work smarter. And yet we all end up in that place where reality doesn't jive with what we've been taught. So why? Why does God give us more than we can handle? You may be in that very place right now. Or you may be living with the consequences and the residue of past sufferings that you couldn't handle. And you never dealt with. I did that for 40 years of my life. Why? Let's look again at verses 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. Paul gives us a few reasons that can help us process that question of why. Why, God? Why do you give me more than I can handle? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair. It shouldn't be that way. So Why? Verse 9, remember, they expected that they were going to die. I don't think it gets any worse than that. He says, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. So not only did they encounter that, Paul said, Paul's expecting that it's going to probably come around at some point again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And he says, and you guys out there at church in Corinth, you're actually helping us, how? By praying for us. And what else comes out of all this? The fact that many people will give thanks Because God has graciously answered so many prayers. Pull out a couple things out of there. The first thing has to do with discipleship. Why does God give us more than we can handle? Because being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, is a process. That's what the word discipleship refers to. It's a process of, uh, of of our faith maturing. It's a process of our relationship with God growing. You see, when we were first introduced to Jesus, we were given basics, kind of like a first date. You get to know him. You tell him a little bit about who you are, right? You learn that you're a sinner. You learn that your sin breaks relationship with God. You learn there's nothing you can really do to restore that. You can't be good enough. You can't do anything great enough to fix that. And someone introduces you to Jesus and says, Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who's done something for that. And so then you decide, okay, if that's all true, do I want that relationship? And do I want to follow this Jesus, right? Same premise as your first date. This is who I am. You tell me who you are. Let's decide if we want a second date. Let's decide if we want to see if our relationship will continue to the next level. And from there, from that initial faith, our, our relationship with God is designed to grow and mature. It's designed to go deeper so that we can know him more so that we can reveal more of who we are in his presence, and so that we can become more like his son Jesus, all with the eventuality and the goal of spending eternity face-to-face in the presence of our creator. And so we grow through successes, we grow through accomplishments, we grow through challenges and testing, we grow through suffering. We know that that's the reality of life. Each circumstance has the potential to move us closer to our ultimate purpose and goal of eternity with our creator. Now, I say that each challenge or circumstance has the potential for that, for our good. Because we know, and we know this even from the very beginning of time, from the beginning of scriptures, way back in the book of Genesis, that throughout history... Throughout our own personal lives, we know that we have a propensity to go our own way, right? We live in a world, as I said, that encourages us from small all the way through to become independent, to stand on your own two feet, establish your own identity. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. And when we falter, then we're told to get back up on the horse again, try again, try harder, just keep doing it. You'll get there. You can do this. Nothing can stop in your way. But friends, what's the logical conclusion to that? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be encouraging, but what's the logical conclusion to that? That philosophy of life leads you to, one of two crossroads, because inevitably, as you have all told me, you will come to a place where you say, I can't do this. Now you are left with a conundrum. I can't do this because it's Mike's fault. Thanks, youth Master. <laughs> or I can't do this because something's wrong with me. Uh-oh. Neither one of those two things are necessarily healthy conclusions. Now, it may be Mike's fault. He's not perfect. And it may be my fault. And I'm not perfect, but I don't want to hear that all my my whole life. My mom's told me I'm like the best, right? One of the primary themes of the scriptures is that our self-reliance needs to die. Our self-reliance needs to die in relationship to our God. The very thing that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with has been the greatest obstacle for all of humanity from generation to generation to generation. We are so wonderfully and incredibly made. The very first two people were told, hey, go out, name all the animals of the earth, Rule over it all. You can do it. And Satan came along and tempted them and said, you know what? There's even more. You can do all this without God's help. You are so incredibly wonderfully made. And this is what we think today. We're so incredibly created in in terms of uh, who God created us to be that we can actually picture in our minds a reality, a future that is successful based solely on our own merit. I can actually come up with an idea that would be successful And I could do it all on my own. I don't need anybody else's help. And yet scripture from beginning to end is about faith in God, trusting in God, living by God's uh, power and his wisdom, his leading, his strength, his mercy. It's all about God providing and me denying myself and following Jesus. Pressing into who God is and letting him do. Friends, we believe that we can do better for ourselves than what God can do for us because we know ourselves better than we know our God. Let that sink in. We believe that we can do better for ourselves. We can take better care of ourselves than God can take care of us because we know ourselves better than we know our God. And so God mercifully gives us more than we can handle in order to break down our self-reliance. He gives us doses of reality so that we don't isolate and distance ourselves from God saying, I don't need you, God. I just don't need you. It's our number one challenge in suburbia, is that people go through life without ever needing God, supposedly. And so God gives us more than we can handle with the hope that we will rely on him. And that's the other side of that equation. When I come to the end of my rope and say, I can't do this, and find out that God can do it, I begin to understand to a deeper degree who God is. I get to know his love for me at a different level. I get to know his power and his strength. I get to know his provision. I get to know his mercy and his grace. I get to understand just a little bit more that he loves me in ways that I can't even fathom. Like there's no limit to it. I get to learn that, you know what? In this situation, when everybody else has left me and I want to leave me, he's there. There's nothing that is so challenging, so severe, so dire that he says, I'm tapping out on that. You're on your own. He never does that. Nothing will ever cause him to think, maybe I should run the other direction. He stays with us because his ultimate goal is to spend eternity with us. So he never leaves us. Some of the reasons why God gives us more than we can handle. We're just scratching the surface. The reality is that the hardships of life are inevitable. You will come to that place if you haven't already. And so what, what can we do? What can we do when we get to those places? In fact, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll end with just a couple things here. But I'm going to say that actually these aren't things that you can do when you get to those challenges in those places, these are things that we need to be doing now in preparation of when we are in those places. Because if we don't set these practices and disciplines in our life when we're not facing challenges, chances are when we face a crisis or a challenge that we can't handle, we will go to default mode. We have this innate ability within us both nurtured and created, to rely on self. And so if I don't have a practice or a habit of avoiding that and not going down that path, when something comes at me suddenly, I'm going to react. And my reaction will be (laughs) self-reliance. If you need more emphasis than that, so these are things, just a couple things that we need to be practicing now. Start them now if you're in a place of peace and calm and life is going well. So that. So what can we practice? Again, some of the things that Paul brought out in that passage. First thing, and you say, oh, that's so easy. Pray. Ah, oh, yeah. I got that. I, when the challenge comes, I'll remember it's ongoing conversation with God. It's an ongoing revealing of who you are and understanding who he is. One of Jesus's primary tasks with his disciples, remember he took these guys like off the shores and said, Hey, put your nets down. Come follow me. Like they knew nothing. One of his primary tasks in those years that he had with them was to teach them how to pray. That was more pressing to him than them figuring out how to do miracles, than them learning how to uh, beat a Pharisee in an argument. Even more pressing than, than uh, you know working for social justice and, and raising the economic status of the poor was that they would learn how to pray, that they would learn how to be continuously in the presence of the Father as he was. That's what he wanted for them. Prayer as conversation removes the obstacles to obedience in relationship with God. And sometimes those obstacles are external, and sometimes they're internal. But prayer changes us and how we overcome them. It gives us clarity. It changes our perspective. It gives us hope and a desire and a courage to obey and to live and follow God. Prayer as an outpouring of my soul to my Father is always received with empathy, with grace, with hope. And it's deeply, deeply personal. But you know what? It always has a communal component to it as well. Always has a communal component. When Jesus was pouring out his soul to the Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is on the night before he's, the night that he's going to be betrayed and he knows what the following days hold for him. He knows he's going to end up on the cross. We know what that scene of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane is like or was like for him. Scripture says he was, he was sweating what appeared to be drops of blood. He asked his friends to pray with him. He asked his friends, he engaged them, he asked for their help. Our natural inclination is to isolate ourselves when we feel weak, when we feel hurt, or betrayed. Our our natural tendency is to withdraw and if we're forced to be in the presence of others, we put on a mask and we fake it till we can make it. That's our natural tendency. We want to be the fixer, at least I do. I wanna be the one who fixes things. I wanna be the one that you guys ask for help. I don't wanna be the one asking you for help. Just the other day, someone came up to me and and started the conversation with, I need to ask for help, but I hate asking for help. (laughs) Why is that so hard for us? Me included, why is that so hard for us to do? Because it's messier. It makes life messier if I have to ask somebody for help. It diminishes my inner superhero of who I see myself to be and who my mom has told me I am all these years. It diminishes my graduate degree. It diminishes my professional standing in society. It diminishes myself as a father who can do anything. It diminishes me as the teacher who knows everything. It makes me vulnerable. It makes me accountable. It ties me to you. I asked Mike for help and now I'm connected to the guy. (laughs) Now he's gonna enter into my life and he's gonna ask me things and he's gonna do things and there's gonna be accountability and... all good, Sandy. It's all good because it does all those things. That's what it's intended to do. It's called living in, somewhere on there, authentic community, (laughs) number two, right? It's called being a follower of Jesus. It's called being God's people and loving each other. And Paul said this in uh, verse 11 of of that chapter we read, so that other people will know and give thanks to God. How will they know that you're my disciples? You're loved one for the other. It's meant to do all those things. When life is more than you can handle, you need to be praying. You already need to be in prayer. Anticipate it. And you need to be used to asking for help. Practice it. And you need to be ready to receive. For some of us, that's the hardest part. Someone very close to me, my mother, has a tremendous, I mean, the most giving person that I know has a tremendous difficulty letting others help her. Because she wrestles with, now I owe them something. So for some of us, the receiving is the hardest part but let God do what he does best. He redeems broken things. Let others speak what they have, truth into your life and let them help. Let them take some of that burden. Galatians uh, 6.2, I think it is. Carry each other's burdens. Let other people do that and be thankful. I think for those who have a difficulty receiving one of the most helpful things is to focus on the thankful aspect and not so much on the receiving, but being thankful and being intentional about being thankful. And that begins to reorient your thinking in there. Friends, I assure you that no matter who you are, and you know this better than because you know yourself so well, it doesn't matter what the dynamics are in your life, doesn't matter what stage you are in life, there will be more than you can handle. If you're married, (laughs) how come only some of the spouses are chuckling? (laughs) There's going to be more than you can handle. If you're single or if you're divorced, there's going to be more than you can handle. If you're a student, oh my goodness, at the end of the semester, there's more than you can handle. Of course, that's your own fault, but... (laughs) doesn't matter if you're an accountant, a teacher, if you're retired, it's always going to be more than you can handle. It, it, there's not, not in retirement. Don't burst my bubble, Sandy. There's always going to be more than you can handle, whether you're making minimum wage or whether you're making six figures, more than you can handle, whether you're in full time ministry or whether you're just volunteering, there's going to be more than you can handle whether you're five years old, 15 years old, you get the idea, 50 years old, whether you're aiming for 100. But here's the thing. You were not created to handle it on your own. Nobody, especially not God, nobody is asking you to handle it on your own. And if you are, Stop! I say that with all love and sincerity. Stop and tell me to stop when I'm doing it. It'll kill you. We need to come to grips with our humanity. And we need to come to grips with God's divinity. And we need to understand and acknowledge that it's prayer that links those two, humanity and divinity together together. And we need to accept and embrace that we are called to live in community in the midst of all of that. We're going to move into a time of prayer and worship. We're going to do it as a community. We're going to have people in the back who will be ready to pray for you, invite Jared and the worship team to come forward. These are very personal, but they're also very communal acts. And these are opportunities where we can begin to reveal Again, some more of who we are to our Father and ask for help. If you go to the back and, and ask for prayer, just remember that that's confidential and, and those people will press into that with you, but they'll do it in a way that will protect your confidence. It's, just, it's not an act of weakness. It's actually an act, I think, of strength because God's not asking you to handle it on your own. Don't do it. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, none of us wish or want more than we can handle. All of us want to be Superman. And yet, at the same time, we want to draw close to the God who created us, the Creator. And so we acknowledge that you give us more than we can handle so that we do come to you. Father, I pray that in those times that we would be rooted in practices that would serve us well. That we would be secure in community that would surround us well. And so, Father, for those who are here today who are struggling and wrestling and not sure if they will be able to handle it. I pray, Father, for outpouring of your spirit on them. I pray, Father, that your people would have opportunity to surround them and that, Father, they would come in confidence to your throne and say, God, I can't handle this. I give it to you. Forgive us, Father, for the many, many times where we uh, refuse to do that. And, uh, Lord, help us to yeah, lead the way in our homes, in our, in our communities, in terms of acknowledging our humanity and celebrating your divinity in the midst of the challenges. To you be glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.